Welcome to a special pre-trade deadline edition of the Clip City podcast. I am your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And I am joined, of course, by none other than Justin Russo, a.k.a. Fly by Night. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's a uh, man. I January might have been the longest month we've ever had. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's been a crazy uh a crazy week plus in the NBA world. Um, it, you know, it feels like you can't not address it. Uh, you know, I've already addressed it on the podcast, but obviously the the death of Kobe Bryant, um, his daughter, Gianna and, and the seven other passengers in that helicopter crash. That's been all we've been talking about, thinking about uh, for, for the last, you know, eight days. Um, but it, it kind of made the trade deadline sneak up on you. Like I, you know, I just it just dawned on me yesterday when I was finishing up this piece I just wrote for the Athletic, um, and, and just so everyone's aware, this is at two fifty one p.m. Pacific time on Monday, uh, so we are now officially under seventy two hours until the trade deadline. Something might break as we're on this podcast, uh, so we will update you if that happens. But it, it just kind of stuck up on me where I was like, "Oh crap!" Like there's three days left. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Clippers are probably going to make a move, if not two. Um, you know, I'd be very surprised if they don't make anything uh, or you know don't do anything. Just based on the history of the front office, the, the last two deadlines have, have been uh, you know one of the more active front offices, especially last trade deadline where, where they had a flurry of moves um, at the eleventh hour. So I fully expect the Clippers to make again one, if not two trades. I think. Looking at the big picture, this team's on a 57-win pace. They're on a 65-win pace when Kawhi and PG play. So the optimists in the room can point to that and say they can probably stand pat and, and not do much. But I do think there's been some some weaknesses that have popped up here and there in the rotation. Uh, certain players have not met expectations. I, I, think the, the, I think you can make the case this team is both deeper and less deep than we thought heading into the season. Like, I'm really confident in their top nine, uh, but I thought this maybe could have been a 12-deep team. And, and I think after the top nine, I do have some legitimate concerns on the you know the reliability of that those 10 through 12 spots uh, on this team. So I think there's definitely a couple spots that can be upgraded, um, and and you know you know there's a position that they don't even have that can maybe be filled. Uh, so looking, I guess. In, in my perspective, and, and this is conversations with people with the team, conversations with people around the league, conversations with other media members, conversations with Clippers Twitter, uh, I think there's three clear positional needs that the Clippers can upgrade in some form on the trade market uh, or the buyout market. It is a center. You know, that's the one that's kind of constantly thrown out there. Um, a point guard which the team literally does not have. Uh, I mean, I guess the closest thing to a traditional point guard is Pat Beverly, but he's more of a three and D six foot one wing uh, than a point guard. And the the one that I don't think gets enough attention is a wing upgrade, specifically kind of that fifth closing slot. If you're going to say the Clippers have their four closers in Kawhi, PG, Trez, and Lou, I think that fifth spot an upgrade over the likes of Pat Beverly, Landry Shamit, Mo Harkless, Rodney Magruder, Jerome Robinson, a better player than one of those guys, two close games, preferably a three and D wing, someone with some size in that six, six to six foot nine range. 
someone who can defend multiple positions, offensively doesn't need the ball, uh, maybe can play make a little bit, you know, put the ball on the floor if they have to, uh, but really a 3 and D guy who, who can help on the glass, help switch with Kawhi and PG, uh, you know, against the, the, the likes of the Bucks and, and the Nuggets and the Rockets and the Lakers and, and the Sixers and those top-level offenses that the Clippers are going to face as they get to the semifinals, conference finals, finals, if they make it that far. So this is a long-winded way of saying, Justin, which of those three areas do you think the team needs to shore up the most? Um, and, and what's maybe an area that you, you think is a little bit overblown with the attention it's gotten? So number one, I think they need to find a wing. And it sounds weird to say because you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and that the whole thing was, well, you now you got – the two of the very best two-way wings, if not the two best um, in the NBA, well, why would you need another wing? Well, the reason they need another wing is because, well, Mo Harkless hasn't been that great, and he hasn't been as good defensively as I think the team has tried to tout him as, and unless he's shooting a wide-open corner three, and sometimes even then, there's really not much value offensively that he can give you outside of sometimes he'll cut or be in the dunker spot and he'll just get fed by Kawhi when they blitz Kawhi on the pick and roll. You know, finding that fifth spot in a closing lineup is a big deal. Like we oftentimes don't really think about it as much because it's like, well, it's just the fifth guy. It's like a fifth offensive option. Like who really cares? Well, in the case of the Clippers, it matters quite a big deal because if you have just another weapon offensively, I'm not saying he's got to be a great offensive player, but just the threat of someone who can space the floor and knock down threes, that creates more space for everyone else's actions. It creates more space for the Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell pick and roll. It creates more space for Kawhi Leonard to pass out of the pick and roll. It's hard to double off of the guy in the corner if he's actually a capable shooter. Every little thing matters when you get to the postseason and spacing is at such a premium when you get down to the nitty gritty, you know, the last couple rounds of the postseason and the finals, conference finals, et cetera, that you need people who at least have the threat of being a floor spacer. Otherwise, your offense can bog down, especially if you're playing, for instance, uh, Ivica Zubats at center. You know, he's not a he's not a spacer. Montrose Harrell isn't a spacer. Stuff like that. Like you're playing already one guy who doesn't space the floor. So playing a second guy alongside them who doesn't space the floor adequately enough or at least even just have any modicum of gravity whatsoever, that shrinks the floor for everyone. And it, and I think you've seen it this season where offensively the Clippers have bogged down into isolations for Paul George and uh, to a larger degree Kawhi Leonard. Now, that's the kind of player Kawhi Leonard kind of is at the stage. He's an isolation uh, pick-and-roll ball handler at this point. And he's really freaking good at it. So obviously he's going to do it a lot. But at the same time, it could ease the burden on his shoulders offensively if he had someone who could space the floor and give him just a little bit more room to operate with in the mid post. You know, when he spins back to the middle, there's not a second defender helping from the strong side or the weak side, things like that. So I think priority number one is a wing. They need to get a guy who can play the three and the four. It would also help if the guy who you get the, that can play the three and the four in bigger lineups can play the two or the three while like say Paul George plays the two when Kawhi's off the floor, stuff like that. Like you, you need lineup versatility and another, I'm not going to say a high quality wing, but just another good wing 
will at least give you that allure of versatility, both defensively and offensively. Number two, I th- I think the thing that has kind of been overblown is I don't really think they need another like quote unquote true ball handler. I think that's overblown because well, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Lou Williams have the ball in their hands so much. What does it matter if there's another ball handler? Like he's not going to handle the ball enough to even like make a dent in anything offensively. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have secondary playmakers and stuff like that. I do think that's where the Clippers have lacked a little bit, but I also don't know how much of a priority getting another like true point guard really is. Like, I don't think you need one. I think Patrick Beverly fits what the Clippers want out of their starting point guard, which is, Hey, you can initiate the offensive actions early, but then you're going to go either stand in the corner and cut, or you're just going to stand there and receive the ball, or you can flare to the wing or to the point, and this way you're open for three. And Beverly's done a good job of that over the last couple of months of knocking down his three as I, he's over 40% on him. So I, I think the ball handler thing is overblown because Kawhi Leonard this season, and this is a truly astounding, uh, just astounding stat for the season, Kawhi Leonard this year has registered more pick-and-roll ball handler passing possessions, according to Synergy's data, than he did last season. And he hasn't played anywhere Which, it near makes the sense. game. Makes sense. Yeah. He's, you're, saying, you're saying for the total season. For the total season. That, 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, he's basically been their primary ball handler anytime he's on the court. Right. And I think his maturation as a ball handler and as a passer, and look, it hasn't been flawless. There's been games he's turned it over with sloppy ball handling or passes. But I think as the season has gone along, especially in the last month or so, you've seen him recognize actions earlier and handle them better specifically the Miami game where they blitzed him and they tried to trap him on pick and rolls he quickly it was boom boom and the ball was out and it was swung and someone got a shot and it looked it looked perfect it was the best passing game they've had all season that's why I don't think the ball handler is a big deal the only way I think ball another ball handler would be a big deal is if one of them got injured and if one of them got injured and by them I mean Kawhi Leonard or Paul George not to be dramatic, but you're just kind of screwed anyways. Yeah. At that point, I mean, I think to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, I think it really only makes sense to add a, a point guard. If you're getting an all-star level guy, like if you're getting a Chris Kyle Paul, Lowry, Kyle Lowry, Drew holiday, one of those guys, I think moves the needle enough to be, you know, worthy of, of, implementing into the offense but you're also then giving up a lot probably decimating your depth and if those guys are even available right because we don't we don't know at this point you know toronto's better than a lot of people thought they'd be they might not be sellers okc is definitely better than a lot of people thought they'd be you know and that contract is so hard to match you know uh, you know salary wise and then you got drew where the Pelicans are now trying to make the playoffs and, and they actually have a realistic shot despite being so bad for, for so much of the season. So in all three instances, I don't even know if any of those three guys are available. They probably are for the right price. I don't know if the Clippers can even get to that price. So now you're looking at um, you know some of the names I had uh, on my article today, you know, Derek Rose, Dennis Schroeder, um, you know, Ish Smith, DJ Augustine, Chris Dunn. I think you can make the theoretical argument for any of those guys within the context of this team. Uh, I, I think with Rose and, and Schroeder, there's a lot of overlap with Lou. 
And, you know, it would almost to me be an instance where are you flipping Lou in that trade and, and kind of just saying we're going to go with a younger option, um, you know, but I, like I'd rather have Lou than, than Derek Rose for sure. Uh, Schroeder with the season he's having, like yeah. I, he's having a much better season than I realized, um, you know, 19 points, four assists, uh, you know, 58% true shooting percentage, uh, 39% on threes, a 4.5. 4.53 RPM, which leads point guards. Like, that's insane. He, you know, he's, he's been, you know, and there's some, you know, stuff with that. But uh, I, I think, you know, de- defensively, he's obviously an upgrade on Lou. Um, so, you know, that would be an interesting one where I, I don't even know if, now he is making a lot of, you know, 15.5 million, um, has another year on his deal. But go down the list. Like, I, I like Ish Smith. Uh, I think he could have some value on the second unit. Uh, same thing for DJ Augustine, depending on the status of his knee injury. Uh, and then there's Chris Dunn, who is one of the best defensive guards in the league, but is a clear minus offensively who's shooting 26% on threes. So I, I think that the challenge, I, I think above all else where I kind of fall on the Clippers adding someone is I think they need to prioritize shooting. Um, I, I know defense has been a concern at times, but I, I really looking at the the five or six wings, if you want to even throw Terrence Mann in that mix, uh, since he's not even necessarily a traditional point guard. If you look at you know Pat Landry, Mo Rodney, Jerome Terrence, Landry is really the only guy who's a clear plus offensive player that teams will actually have to scheme against and fear. I mean, you could probably make the case for Pat too, although a lot of times defenses will just flat out ignore him. Um, you know, like you said, he's gotten more comfortable in the offense. He's gotten more comfortable around Kawhi and PG and finding his pockets and, and finding his kind of rhythm in the pick and roll and one to attack and one to move the ball. And, um, you know, he's improved as a shooter, you know, throughout the season. So, you know, Pat probably is a, a slight plus offensively as well. But really, Landry's the only guy you care about offensively from that group. And then defensively, it's just Pat and Mo. And, and you know, Rodney has had his moments defensively, but has not been consistent on either end. Um, you know, I, I know Jerome has been better defensively throughout the season, but, you know, a lot of that's in, in garbage time or just in these, like, quick one- or two-minute spurts. Uh, you know, Terrence has, has not earned the trust of the coaching staff. And, and and then Landry, I thought, actually started the season, you know, off well defensively and regressed after his ankle sprain. I think he's starting to get his legs under him a bit and has looked better recently but he's still been a, a minus defensively. So you're just looking at these five, six guys as one-way players at best. In the case of Jerome, Terrence, and, and Rodney, not even necessarily one-way players. So I, I do think that, you know, especially those Rodney and Jerome spots can be upgraded. Um, I expect the, the team will try to include both of those guys in any deal they make. Um, and, you know, and what, cause again, this, they might have to free up a spot for Darren Collison for an Andre Gudala if they hit the buyout market or the Clippers are at 15 players, they could waive Derek Walton Jr. Or Patrick Patterson if it gets to that point. But you know, it, it is probably easier just to dump a, a Jerome or a Rodney or both, uh, in any deal they make to try and, you know, free up a, a roster spot. So I, I guess I, I don't see the point guard fit really being resolved unless they can flip Jerome or Rodney for Nish Smith, for DJ Augustine, for someone of that caliber. Um, I think Schroeder and Derek Rose are probably unrealistic, especially for what those teams are going to ask. Uh, and then the center spot, 
I just reject the premise that they need a center. Like, I think the one argument you can make is that Doc clearly doesn't trust Zoo enough um, to play him more and, and to close games with him. And if you're saying our options are either, you know, Zoo plays 16 to 18 minutes a night, Trez plays the other 30 to 32, <laughs> including these ridiculous 16 to 18 minute stretches in the second half, um, you know, maybe there is some value actually in flipping Zoo and getting a center that's going to balance out the minutes, even if the player is as good as Zoo or maybe only slightly better. Um, but like, like I look at like a Derek Favors, like I, I think Derek Favors is better than Zoo, but not at, you know, the, the price difference of basically 18 million versus 7 million. I would rather have Zoo than, than Derek Favors. But if you're going to get 24 minutes of Derek Favors and that's going to bring down Trez's minutes and, and maybe give Doc two different looks to close games, maybe there's some value in that. I, I don't know. Um, you know, for as much as we we like Zoo and we see his value, he is 22 years old. And, and this mm-hmm. team is in somewhat of a win now mode where they're looking at the next two, three, four years max as we got to you know maximize this window, try to win as many titles as we can over the next you know three, four years. So maybe Zoo's a little bit you know behind the timeline on that. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't think that, but I you know clearly we're at the fifty game mark, and Doc is still not playing him that much. Um, you know, he, he, I will say as I wrote, he, he's played eighteen or more minutes in seven of the last nine games, so his minutes have been on an uptick slightly uh, recently. But overall, I think it, it clearly is an issue. You know, I, I go back to that Atlanta game where they were shorthanded and. You know, Trez plays the last, what, 18 minutes of that game and, and they give up like 15 offensive rebounds or something like that. Like, yeah, he played the last it, it, 20 and a half minutes. It was ridiculous. Um, and then Doc, after the game, was asked, you know, why he didn't play Zoo more. And he's like, well, you know, they went on an 11 or, or, oh, or 12 to yeah. 2 run. And it's like, well, what about the <sighs> 55 to 30 run that they went on when Trez was on the court? Like, you know, it, it was, you know, so... I guess to I, I agree with you. I'm in agreement. I, I think the wing spot is the clear spot. They need preferably a two-way contributor, someone who is an upgrade again over you know, realistically, they're flipping Mo. That's the guy who's getting moved. I'd be surprised if Mo is is on this team at you know 301 Eastern on Thursday. It, it's just kind of I think getting that guy that if you put him instead of Mo plus whatever, you know, Mo plus Rodney, Mo plus Jerome some combination of that, you know, you can now start that player at the four and close games with them at, at, you know, the two through four, whatever. And, and, but also have the option to go with Pat or Landry, right? Like, so I think it, you know, my top guy is Robert Covington. Uh, I don't know if he's your top guy uh, on this wing. So yeah, we're in agreement there. You know, you get Robert Covington for Mo, Jerome, you know, first round pick, I'd, I'd even, you know, the, the 2020 first round pick, I'd honestly consider even throwing in one of the Detroit picks on top of that. Um, I don't know if I'd go all three picks, but like, let's say you could somehow get that deal. Um, you know, now Jerome is in a new situation. Minnesota can kind of sell him as, as, as a shooter, a reclamation project. You got Mo who's 26. Um, I think could be re-signed on a reasonable deal kind of fits a little bit more with the towns Wiggins timeline. Uh, and then obviously the Clippers are getting Robert Covington, who I think can start at the four, as he's done in Minnesota, can also close games. But if for whatever reason you want to go with a smaller option, you can still go with Pat or Landry, um, or, or maybe you're benching Lou, and, and then now you can selectively go with Lou at the end of games. But I think he's like the perfect guy 
Um, you know, doesn't shoot the ball as well as you probably want. You know, it's just under 35%. But when you, it is a bit of slim pickings out here, some of these options. So I think he probably is the best two-way balance of a, you know, a three and D guy who, who can rebound, who has size, who can play multiple positions. He can even, he could guard point guards. He could guard fours. Like even I look at someone like a Marcus Morris, he really is more of a three, four, doesn't have that versatility to defend ones and twos. Um, and, you know, is, is kind of a, l- a little bit less flexible positionally. So I, I think Robert Covington to me is the clear guy that I would target. I would give up a lot for him. Um, you know, again, the Clippers are in win now mode. Um, I, I know people, you know, don't necessarily view it that way, but you know, they have 18 more months of Kawhi and PG locked up. And if they underachieve in any form, which to me would be like losing in the semifinals, you're now at risk of potentially losing Kawhi or PG, depending on how next season goes. So to me, if you can make a win now move, which, you know, maybe it's all three picks that you have, maybe you have to do that for a guy like Robert Covington. Cause I, I do think, they could get someone like him, you know, to me, they're, they're clearly the favorites at that point. Whereas right now you could probably make the case between them, the bucks and the Lakers. This is why I believe Robert Covington is the top wing trade target, excuse me, trade target for the Clippers. Number one, he's good defensively and he has positional versatility defensively. He can guard one through four, sometimes five in small lineups. He's the same exact size, height, weight, wingspan as Mo Harkless. So if you're playing Mo Harkless at the four, you can play Robert Covington as the four. As the four, as you mentioned, that's where he's played his most minutes for Minnesota. Minnesota clearly views him as a four. They like his stretchability next to Carl Anthony Towns, especially because Towns himself can space the floor. Um, the other thing is, the real reason I love Covington has nothing to do with him overall as a player expressively. His contract runs for another two years at a bargain rate. Yep. This year's 11.3, but the next two years are 12, one and 13. Like, so you talk about the Clippers have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard locked up for only 18 more months, you know, guaranteed. Well, if you put Covington next to them, this is a guy who's locked up for two more years. That's your wing rotation now. Like that's your two, three, four. And that's that's the that's the group you can roll with in the playoffs and next regular season. And like, you know, going forward, if they resign, he's on the same age timeline as them. He's a good shooter who I think has been hindered by the fact that there's not a lot of spacing on the teams he's played on. So he hasn't had an exorbitant amount of wide open threes like other players get. He's had a down shooting season overall from three, but I do expect that to get an uptick if you put him in a situation, for instance, like with the Clippers, who hypothetically, let's say he starts at the four next to Kawhi and PG, and there's Patrick Beverly spacing the floor. Well, now you have a guy who can space the floor in the corner who's a good shooter, and he's not going to have a lot of the attention paid to him because Kawhi and PG are on the floor with him. And the other thing is he does what, you know, Doc has talked about, like he likes having Mo Harkless because, you know, Mo can guard ones and twos and he saves Kawhi and PG and they can play off the ball defensively. Well, that's exactly what Robert Covington does. So you're basically just upgrading defensively and offensively for a guy who's better on a similar contract that runs for two extra years. And we've, you just talked about like, you know, I don't know if I give up the three picks for him. I think I would, because look, if you went all in for Paul George to help you land Kawhi Leonard, 
I think you should go all in on Robert Covington to the point. Like, I wouldn't give up Landry Shaman in the deal. I know they would ask for him, but I wouldn't give him up. I would, you know, I would I go as far as to make it a kind of a crazy trade where it's like Harkless, Montrez Harrell, Magruder Robinson, a first and the two Detroit seconds. And I'd be fine if the Clippers got back Covington, Gorgie Zhang, Shabazz Napier, Jordan Bell. Napier and Bell are expiring, so you don't really have to worry about them beyond the season. They're more or less just to make the roster spots work because uh, you send out four, you get four back. Um, it also secures the backup center spot because that's what Gorgie does in Minnesota. He's used to it. Or if you really – like the thing with Gorgie too is – I like him a little bit better with Lou because he's better defensively at the rim and he's a pick and pop guy. So it's like, there's no real rim clogging. Like if Lou drives to the paint, there's not two or three guys there. You know what I mean? So look, I don't like the Gorgie Zhang contract. It runs for another year. However, I kind of feel like that's the tax for taking Robert Covington. And I think it's the tax the Clippers should look at paying. Now, speaking of tax, it would jump them up into the luxury tax by, I believe, a couple million. And it would take them out of their non-taxpayer MLE in the offseason. However, you still increase your championship window, at least win probability window for the championship this season and the next season. Basically, your rotation would be shored up. You have Lou Williams under contract for another season. Same thing with Shamit, Covington, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Ivica Zubats, Gorgie Zhang would be under contract. Jermichael Green has a player option that he'd probably opt out, but you can probably get him to take the taxpayer MLE again, you know? So, look, they'd have options. And I think that's the thing is, like, it shores up your rotation. And that is a big deal. You have to play for the now while also looking forward to the future. And look, if you get Robert Covington, you increase your win probability for a championship this season. And if you if you don't pay attention to actually like lengthening your window or at least widening it, then what's the point of this season? You went in for Paul George. I think you need to go in for a guy like Covington. He averages four uh, four deflections per thirty six minutes. That ranks on the top ten this year in the NBA. Like he, he, he look, this is a guy who alleviate some of the burden for Kawhi Leonard defensively and Paul George. He's a better shooter than Mo Harkless. He's a better defender. I think he's a guy that the Clippers need to make their priority. Do I think they will? I don't know. I'm not in the room with them, obviously. But for me, he'd be the number one guy on my board. Yeah, no, uh, I'm in agreement. Um, I I think quickly, um, you know, touching on some of the other names that I had on my list. And if I forgot anyone, you know, definitely chime in. Um, Marcus Morris has been someone who's been linked with them. The elephant in the room now is he made some misogynistic comments last week. Uh, To me, I think it's, it's, you know, worthy of not trading for him. Uh, Just, you know, especially for a, a organization that has tried to sort of, you know, factor in character, and locker room fit and, and you know they, they've really um j- just hearing on on some of the things with like the way they've drafted players or the way they haven't signed certain guys um i think clearly character and personality are big things for this organization so you know to me it would actually kind of go against that whole ethos if they just traded for marcus morris a week after um he, he said some of the things he said uh but 
you know, it's a business. And if they think if that's the best they can get and, and they think he's going to help them, then, you know, maybe they still trade for him. Um, as I mentioned, I like, you know, he's shooting almost 44% on threes. I, I like him. I just think he's more of a 3.5 slash four. He doesn't have the same versatility as a guy like Covington, even if he is a better shooter. He's also a bit more of a ball stopper, more ball dominant. You know, we'll, we'll post up, we'll ISO, um, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of the ball's a little sticky in his hands. So, uh, you know, you get that guy to buy into being the fifth guy on this team, which he essentially would be. I don't know. You know, he's going from the first option in New York to the fifth option in L.A. Um, I just don't know if he, you know, has that kind of mentality. Andre Iguodala. Uh, another one that that has been attached, you know. I think ideally you get him on the on the buyout market, but there's no guarantee he gets there. And you know, we, we have the Lakers who have been struggling a little bit lately. Um, you know, might be desperate to to add another quality wing guy. Dallas, Houston, um, you know, Philly. Like you, you could go down the list. I think that this actually, I don't think it's gonna be a big trade deadline in terms of like the names moved, but you really could see the top six or seven teams all make a move. You know, kind of looking at, hey, we have a title shot. Like, let's add that final piece. You know, let's let's shore up a weakness. And everyone can use another wing. So, Andre Goudal, I think, is another option. Davis Bertans, I, I think, is great. I, I just don't – it doesn't seem like Washington has any interest in, in moving him. And, and the price is really high for him, uh, potentially as high as Covington's, if not higher. Uh, then down the list, like Bogdanovich from Sacramento, I really like. Although he's more of a two than, than a three. And – you know, defensively, he's not really going to help you. Uh, Jay Crowder can't shoot outside of the Clippers game. So that, that's that's one where he's down to, you know, 29.7% on threes. Uh, Belitza is, is more of a four, 4.5. Defensively, he's not going to help you, but he can shoot. Thad Young can't shoot, but he'll help you defensively. And then Glenn Robinson, the third, I think is a sneaky option that is, you know, sort of a, a diet 3 and D guy. It's really his first year performing at this high of a level. But, you know, 13 points a game, five rebounds a game, a steal, 57% true uh, shooting percentage, 40% on threes. Um, you know, he, so he, he's a guy that I think Golden State would look to trade. And maybe that's a Jerome plus a second round or Rodney plus a second round or something something along those lines. Um, he's only making $1.62 million. Um, do any of those names outside of Covington stick out as, you know, clear guys you'd want to add? Like, the the one thing I like, I I like Iguodala and Bogdanovich for their playmaking. It's almost a two for one where those guys can handle the ball, they can run pick and rolls, they can facilitate. So you're almost kind of addressing the wing need and the point guard need. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I, I think for me, it's 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 Morris, it's um, it's Iguodala, it's Bogdanovich. Uh, Bertans, I think, again, just isn't realistic. And, and outside of those three, I don't really love any of these guys um, in, unless you're really just giving up like nothing for them. Yeah, like Bertans is obviously the prize out of all those names just because he's been such a great floor spacer and shooter. But he's his big. price is, yeah, and he is big. He's like 6'10. Um, now, Bertans would be interesting if you could get him with Ish Smith. But if you get him, if you get Ish Smith, then, you know, he's basically just Lou Williams. And do you really want to play Lou and Ish Smith together defensively? Because that's no, not yeah. <laughs> that literally sums it up. No, <laughs> um, Iguodala is the other one. So I don't know what an Iguodala deal would look like. I have it written down as Harkless Robinson and the two Detroit seconds. But 
I think that's the most. I, I don't think I'd give up the first because he's, he's 36. He hasn't played since June. And I don't he's know not what gonna he looks help. like. I don't know what he looks like. He's not going to help you much in the regular season. Um, you know, he's probably going to be on some type of minutes limit. Like, I don't even know if he starts. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I mean, maybe. Um, Although, I guess the upside is if you trade Mo Harkless for him, does that force Doc Rivers to play Jermichael Green at the four finally as a starter? Uh, I, I think, no, he's going to start Patrick oh, Patterson. God, I think you got to get rid of Patrick Patterson too. <laughs> um, you know, the other guys, I guess like you mentioned Marcus Morris, Markeith Morris in Detroit, maybe, you know, yeah, like that's another one, you know, Thad Young, I, I, I'm okay, but I don't like the only good he's, thing. He's having a career worst shooting season. Yeah. Like the only good thing with Thad Young really is, his, the 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 third year of his deal, which he's in year one of a three year deal, so the twenty twenty one twenty two season for him, it's only six million because it's non guaranteed, but that's still six million. You have to pay a guy to go away if he's bad, you know. Um, like Bielitsa, I, I would love Bielitsa. I think if you get Bielitsa and Deadman together, at least you get your backup center or uh, positional starter for twenty minutes a night. And then you get your starting four. Um, Bielitz is fully non-guaranteed for next season. Deadman's, I believe, uh, 13.3 this year, 13.3 next year, and then a $1 million non-guaranteed deal uh, two years from now. So, like, it's it's such a weird market because, like, apparently there was the news today uh, the Spurs are going to work with Damari Carroll on a trade. Damari Carroll really hasn't even played. I can't even glean anything I, I, from yeah, his number. I wouldn't give up anything for like, Damari Carroll. I, I have it written down. Carroll and Metu for Magruder and Robinson. And that's like, that's nothing. That's a nothing trade. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's... I guess this this is an interesting, you know, we, we could address this before we get into the Clippers players a little bit later. How do you view Jerome Robinson's value? Because I think... You know, as as I wrote, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and and did with my grades, like objectively, there is no redeeming quality about him uh, up to this point in his NBA career. Um, like I, I, you know, just quick glance on on Basketball Reference. If you look at where he ranks uh, among his sophomore counterparts in just like basically any statistical category, and you know, you know. Uh, points rebounds assists but also you know win shares and true shooting and all that stuff uh you know three point percentage free throw percentage i think the highest he ranked in anything as of a couple weeks ago which i don't think it, it has changed much um was like 35th so like oh was that and, and i yeah and I, and I went with per game not totals because i know he's you know, he had the injuries last year he hasn't played as much as some of the other guys even guys drafted after him um so i you know i was trying to be fair to him and, and give him the per game um, you know, benefit of the doubt versus the total benefit of the doubt. But I just think with him, like, you know, I, it just really depends how you look at it. I think if you're a, a bit more objective, you view him as a second round talent who is a fringe NBA player or, or you know, looks kind of projects as a, you know, 10 to 15 man guy on, on most teams uh, at this point. Uh, but I think there's also some optimists who will say, you know, the Clippers definitely saw something in him to take him that high o- over some of the guys they took him over. And, you know, we do see this with lottery picks from time to time. Like most lottery picks get 
five, six, seven years in the league just by being a lottery pick. Like you have to be pretty bad. And I, I, you know, I know Jerome's been bad. I don't know if he's been that bad where like he's out of the league next season, uh, as we've seen with some guys in that position. But he, he has been pretty bad. And I, I just wonder if the Clippers can somehow, you know, uh, kind of flaunt him as a positive value or a slight positive or just like, hey, you know, he's only played two years. It's not been an ideal situation. Last year, he was on a team that was loaded in, in the perimeter. Um, you know, this season, obviously, it's a contending team and, and there hasn't really been a clear role for him. You know, no, he has not played well. You know, he, he struggled. He hasn't shot the ball well. But maybe he just needs a change of uh, you know change of scenery and, and a new opportunity and a new place to kind of flourish and find himself. I don't know. Like, I just how do you view his value, and is there any way to spin that in, into a, a positive? It's weird because his play on the court suggests there is no value. Um, his draft position suggests there's at least some value. The thing is, he still has two more years on his deal at a cost-controlled number that isn't exorbitant. So if a team wants to take a swing on him, it's not really a big deal. And by a team, I mean like your Chicago's, your Charlotte's. Teams that aren't really – like Chicago's not good, but they're still kind of in the Eastern Conference playoff mix because, hey, everyone's in that mix still. Um, the thing is – I think the only way you get positive value for him is to attach him with a pick. Now that doesn't mean you attach him with a first. It could be the Detroit sec, like one of the two Detroit seconds, or maybe even both, you know, like if you want to upgrade at a guard spot with, and this is, this is what I believe. I think Jerome Robinson's a solid defender, but he hasn't done anything else to solidify his spot. Uh, he's not good offensively. And I think he's been miscast. I think the team's misused him. Um, but if they want to make an upgrade defensively because they're like, look, we're getting no offense from him anyways, we might as well just upgrade the defense and see what happens. Maybe there's a deal where you deal him and the, and the two Detroit seconds for Chris Dunn or, you know, something like that, like where you're just upgrading defensively, but you're not getting anything offensively. You're just taking a swing on something. Um, I don't think his value is good or great, but I do think there is value. I, look, like, look, I do think he was overpicked by the Clippers. I think they did reach on him, but they clearly liked him. Jerry West liked him. The front office liked him. They saw something that they liked. I just think they've hurt his development by pigeonholing him into positions he's really not comfortable with offensively. I think what kind of screwed it with him is when he went down to the G League last year, he was given the reins to the offense as the lead ball handler. They put him in pick and rolls where he could be a passer, which he was good at last year in the G League. You know, he was allowed to pull up, you know, coming out of pick and rolls from the elbows, which he was good at. You know, they let, they, they'd let him take threes however much he wanted, which was good for his confidence. But there's none of that on the, on, on the big boy team because – Where's that going to like, where's that going to come from? Like, is that going to be fine if Jerome Robinson on the second unit just pulls up for three out of a pick and roll, even though I would like him to do it when he's given the space, but you can kind of see in his body language with the ball in his hands, as he runs a pick and roll at the, at the, at the wing or the point when defenders go under the screen and he's given all this space, you can kind of see him thinking, oh, I want to shoot it, but I, I, I can't like there's other guys on the floor. Like Lou Williams needs the ball. And it sucks. And I think he needs to go to a team with, with, you know, nothing to play for. 
where he'll just get his minutes and maybe develop. So I don't think he has good value. I think there is a little bit of value there, though. I think a te- teams like swinging for the fences on reclamation projects. You know, I mean, look, Austin Rivers stayed in the league and he had two awful seasons to start. Granted, he played more and granted Doc Rivers, his father was the one to trade for him. But, you know, some guys just take longer to develop. And I think it's kind of awkward, I guess, in a sense to just say, you know, his career's done. Like he's, he doesn't have what it takes to cut the mustard in the NBA. Like we don't know yet. Like he might just be a fringe rotation guy and there's no shame in that guys made careers off of that. I just think he needs to be in a better spot where he's given minutes to actually develop because that hasn't happened this year. You know, last year he got the G league minutes and this year there's none of that. So we'll see. I mean, like I said, I think his value is small, but I think it's there. Yeah, no, uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't know where I fall. Like, I, I do think it's in the eye of the beholder because I think there's been few positives in his career so far. Like, cause to be honest, I think if, if he was drafted where I think he was projected to be drafted, which was the somewhere in the 20s, you know, I even saw a couple like early second, but let, let's just say like mid 20s. I think we would already be saying he's probably out of the league. I, I think really that lottery pick status has, has, I mean, it's helped and hurt him. It's, it's hurt him because he's been held to a different standard, but it's also helped him just because I think people are more forgiving of lottery picks historically. If you look at some of the names of certain guys who've just hung around um, because of being drafted in the lottery, uh, you know, like, like again, like you look at someone like Josh Jackson, who's now starting to kind of turn it around a little bit in the G league had he not been the number four overall pick, had he been pick 18, pick 24, maybe he's already out of the league um, versus, you know, that number four pick kind of carries some weight. Like I, th- I think of a guy uh, who we saw for, for years, Wes Johnson, like Wes Johnson was someone mm-hmm. who had he not been drafted as high as he was, maybe he doesn't get as many chances as, you know, Austin, like you said, Austin Rivers. Like I, I think being drafted that high does get you, a second opportunity and sometimes even a third opportunity, which guys drafted in the late first or somewhere in the second don't necessarily get. So, well, well you're right. Like Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, like we could go, like there's a long list of guys who just get chances because of where they were picked. Yep. Um, so we'll, we'll see what Jerome, what happens. Um, I think if I had to guess, I would say he's the second most likely Clipper to be traded after Mo, but we, we'll get into that in a second. Before we start talking about the team, I wanted to quickly touch on the center spot. And I think the center spot, again, is the one spot that if, you know, after the wing, I, I think they probably could use a better center. Um, you know, someone who just kind of, adds you know an equilibrium to this trezu situation which i think has just been a weird thing all season uh the names i have miles turner who i think is clearly the number one option among these guys uh derek favors Dwayne deadman rashawn holmes tristan thompson aaron baines uh, i don't love i could go i mean aaron baines has regressed as a shooter i don't really love him um, i don't think he's better than Trez or I, I think you, you know, he probably was earlier in the season at this point. Um, 
you know, like he's a better rebounder than Trez and, and a better defender, but offensively doesn't bring what Trez brings. And then with Zoo, like, yes, he could space the floor, but I, you know, he's not a better rebounder or defender than Zoo. Um, Tristan Thompson, I, it's, it's just the price, it's the price tag that for me, that's like to get to that, you're going to have to give up. I mean, I guess you could just give up. Like some of these are, are weird where it's like, like I, I personally would not give up Zoo or Trez for Tristan Thompson, but like, would I do Mo and Rodney and then like hope you could get someone on the buyout market or or flip something else to get another wing? Like maybe that's interesting to me, but th- that's like a weird thing where I, I just don't, sure, is Tristan Thompson better than Zoo? Like, yeah, but is he that much better than Zoo where I want to give up Mo plus Zoo or, or Zoo plus Rodney? And, like, I um, you know, I don't love Tristan. I'll, I'll keep Rashawn Holmes for a second. Uh, Dwayne Dedman has regressed as a shooter, shooting twenty per, you know, percent uh, on threes a season. Wants out of Sacramento. That's not a great contract. Uh, has two more years or one more year plus a non guarantee at thirteen point three million. He's already thirty years old. Um, Derek Favors I like, but he it's tricky to get to his his deal. He's an expat. You know, he's going to be a free agent, so you probably have to re- you know pay him to to resign him. If not. You know, I, I don't want to give up Zoo just for a guy who, who could leave in the summer. He's an injury risk, and the Pelicans might not want to flip him now that they're trying to make the playoffs. So it really leaves me to the two guys that I think we should talk about here, Miles Turner and Rashawn Holmes, uh, two guys who are young. Miles Turner is 23, Rashawn Holmes is 26, um, and two guys who I think kind of have some clear limitations in their current situations. Miles Turner in this Turner Sabonis pairing has kind of been marginalized a bit offensively has almost functioned as the four has kind of been pushed aside and is really just a spot up shooter and pick and pop big for, for kind of, you know, most of the time defensively, you know, is one of the best rim protectors and, and shot blockers in the league, um, you know, and is shooting 35% on threes. So I think he's just a, you know, again, he's only 23 years old. That's insane. Uh, but he's under contract for three more years. Um, he, he has that modern 3 and D skill set. I think for me, after Covington, if I was ranking all 20 of the guys I have on this list, I would probably go Covington first and Miles Turner second. Um, I, I do think he probably would command the highest price of anyone on this list just because of his age. You're getting him locked in. He does have a very modern skill set. Um so Turner, you know, is, is it clear for me? Like I would give up, you know, starting price, Harkless, Zubats or Trez, um, Jerome or Rodney, you, you know, the, the first and one of the Detroit seconds I'd even probably throw in, uh, you know, similar to Covington. If you're going all in, like I do think Turner could really help this team and could fit with Zubats or Harold. I don't think he could play with, with Zubats, but you get Turner, you move Zubats to the bench, and I think that the playing time kind of fits a little bit, you know, better. Um, or you, you you flip Zubats, and now Turner slides in as the starter, takes some more of Trez's minutes, and now you have either one of those guys closing games, and sometimes even both, you know, against certain matchups. Um, and then Rashawn Holmes, I think, is is a poor man's Trez who is closer to act, you know, Trez than, than maybe I'm, I'm even, you know, kind of depicting it like he's averaging 13 points a game eight and a half rebounds 1.4 blocks a 69 percent true shooting percentage 
1.66 RPM. I would actually consider trading Trez for Rashawn Holmes straight up. And I know that's going to be like a dagger to the heart of a lot of Clipper Nation. But, I mean, he's he's right there with, with, with Trez. He's the same age. He's a better rebounder. He's a better defender. He, he's a more efficient finisher in the paint and at the rim. Um, and he's going to be making just under $5 million next year when Trez is going to be making twenty to $25 million. I'd rather have Rashawn Holmes. You know, you could trade them straight up for each other. Um, now, now maybe you could even get something from Sacramento where they throw in like a second round pick or or a protected first or, or you know another uh, you know young piece. Um, but w- what do you think about Turner's fit, and what do you think about a Holmes Trez uh, style deal? So it's interesting because you you said Miles Turner would be second on your list of the twenty guys that you wrote about, right behind Robert Covington. Miles Turner is literally just center Robert Covington. <laughs> like like if you just looked at the numbers. He's center Robert Covington, 35% from three, great defender, solid on the boards, boxes out a little bit, not great as a passer and decision maker, but that's fine. And the other thing is with Miles Turner, that kind of does entice me with the whole, you can kind of just move, like I would move Harrell in a Turner deal because you're already paying a center $18 million. Why would you want to pay another one equal value kind of thing, you know? And with Harrell, I'm sorry, with Turner, He averages 29 minutes a night. He doesn't foul a lot. The other thing is if you just look at the minutes, 29 minutes a night, that lets you play Zubats the rest of the minutes. So now Zubats minutes go up, but you're replacing the the Harrell minutes with a guy who's a better shooter, a better floor spacer in general. So like he's going to have some gravity. Uh, He's a better rim protector. He's bigger and better than being a rim protector. He's a rim deterrent because one of the things that gets not talked about often enough, at least in basketball, but especially with the Clippers as it pertains to their center situation is we, you and I talk all the time, like Zubats is such a better rim protector, but the thing no one brings up as much as they should is half of rim protection is just kind of deterring people from shooting there. And that's what Zubats does. That's what Miles Turner does. Because the fewer shots around the rim, guess what? The fewer easier baskets you give up, it shrinks the floor. And that's what Turner can do for you. I do think there is some untapped potential in Miles Turner. You said it. He's 23 years old. He'll be 24 in March. It's kind of crazy to think about. He's only about to turn 24 years old because it feels like he's been <laughs> in the NBA for about eight or nine years now. Um, I don't know if Indiana would move him. However, if they do, I would move heaven and earth. That package I said for Robert Covington, I would give up for Miles Turner in a heartbeat. I would give up Harkless, Harrell a first, probably both Detroit seconds, uh, Robinson if they want a reclamation project, Magruder if they just want more salary ballast. Things of that, like I think there is stuff there to make it work. It's just, it's all dependent on whether or not Indiana really wants to move them because $18 million isn't a, a small amount of money, especially for a mid-market team, which I hate saying because it just sounds like the big market's just trying to t- poach all the good players from the mid-markets. But look, if Miles Turner is on the market, the Clippers better be calling because that's an upgrade to center. That's an upgrade to spacing. That's an upgrade to rim protection. That's an upgrade to the fact that they have a guy locked into a long-term deal. Um, I know Zubats wants to be the starter, but I think he would understand if Miles Turner was there. And look, he's just a better player than both of the centers the Clippers have. And when you who, get to the postseason, you need to have a guy like that. 
Who do you think fits better with, with Sabonis from the Pacer side of things? Harold, because he's a better roller. Yeah. But as weird as it is, Zubots makes more sense defensively as a rim protector because Sabonis is solid defensively and he's improved a lot defensively over the years, especially with where he was in Oklahoma City to start his career. But uh, I I think Harold offensively fits better, especially because when you have to really factor it in, when you have such a great pick and roll bag, which Montrose Harrell is, that gravity alongside Brogdon, Oladipo, uh, Sabonis. Sabonis has really stood out this year as a mid-range shooter. So you can run some Spain pick and roll with Harrell and Sabonis where Sabonis pops and Harrell's the roller. And all of a sudden, you know, that's a deadly situation. You've basically switched the roles for Sabonis to where now, rather than Turner being the guy who's popping to corners, Sabonis might go back to what he did in OKC, where he spotted up from three for some times. But he's such a good mid-range shooter now that he can just flex to the to the elbow, and he's just going to knock him down. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at their their cap sheet right now. Um, you, you got <laughs> Oladipo, who is a year away from being a free agent. Uh, you already got Brogdon locked in at, at that you know, 20.7, 21.7, 22.6. You got Sabonis's uh, extension kicking in next season, which is going to be 19.8, 19.8, 19.8, 20.7. So like, you know, it does get a little pricey for this team. You also have TJ Warren and, and Jeremy Lamb making 10, 11 million. Um, you got McDermott, who, who's been a nice piece for them, who's going to be a free agent. And then you got some of these young guys who are going to be hitting restricted free agency. So, you really do have to think what is the ceiling of a Oladipo, Brogdon, Turner, Sabonis foursome at, at you know, going to be collectively probably around a hundred million once you re-sign Oladipo, if he does re-sign. Now that said, Trez is going to make a lot of money. So if you are trading for Trez, you know, he might be making more than the 18 million that Turner is making. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't love that fit that much more, then Turner Sabonis, maybe you don't do that trade, or, or maybe you just prefer um, Zubots and, and say, hey, like, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll find a four, a more modern four to go with Sabonis in a four or five setting. And Zoo is our backup center, and he's going to be one of the best backup centers in the league at only $7 million a year. So I, I guess it just depends how Indiana views that. But but how do you feel about the, the Holmes Harrell trade? And could that be also, you know, someone we talked about earlier, uh, Bogdanovich? Like now, you could maybe have a conversation of Harkless, Harrell, um, Robinson, and a pick uh, for like Holmes and Bogdanovich or some something like that. Like I, I think I probably wouldn't give up the first, but I'd give up one or maybe even both. Like I really like Bogdanovich, so maybe I'd give up both Detroit seconds and say like, hey, take Harkless. Take Harrell, you can re-sign him. Um, you know, here's Jerome, a, a nice young piece, and here's up, you know, a v- valuable for you know a couple second round picks, and give us Bogdanovich and Holmes. And and now you're looking at, um, I think, a really interesting rotation where I don't know necessarily who starts. Um, you know, now you're between like Landry or Bogdanovich. Obviously, Bogdanovich is better, but maybe they prefer him. I don't know. I guess maybe Bogdanovich starts. You're going a little bit smaller where Kawhi now has to play the four, um, but you have another ball handler shooter out there. 
um, kind of bridging the gap between like Landry versus Mo. Bogdanovich is a little bit in the middle of that, although he's not necessarily a great defender. Uh, and then off the bench, now you have, um, you know, Holmes, Jermichael, Lou, Landry, and, you know, maybe you get a buyout guy. So I think that I would, I would like that deal um, a lot. But how do you feel about Holmes, Harrell, and, and maybe stretching it out to get Deadman or, or to get Bogdanovich or Belitsa? The real interesting part that you mentioned, and I'll talk about this first and I'll shift to just Harrell and uh, Holmes. If you're going to trade Harrell because you don't really feel comfortable paying him and you're going to end up acquiring Bogdanovich in an expanded deal, you better be sure that you feel comfortable paying Bogdanovich or you're just going to work out a sign and trade for him as in restricted free agency, which is what uh, Milwaukee and Indiana did with Malcolm Brogdon. Now, the int- the other interesting factor that I think the Clippers are going to have to you know weigh, especially if in an expanded deal, if Bogdanovich is a name that pops up for them, he would be the guy conceivably who is the Lou Williams replacement in a year or two or in the off season, if the Clippers decide they just want to deal Lou Williams. Cause if you trade for Holmes and Bogdanovich, those are your Lou Trez replacements. Like at the end of the day, those are the two guys who are replacing Montrose Harrell and Lou Williams minutes wise. And in the lineup, every, every lineup that you see that the Clippers run now, just imagine those two in their place. That would be what happens. The other thing is, if you just go to the Harold Holmes deal, I don't know, and this is going to sound crazy, I don't know if Sacramento does it only because they'd have just paid Buddy Heald, they just paid Harrison Barnes, they're going to have to pay De'Aaron Fox, and if they end up, and they sound very adamant about keeping uh, Bogdanovich, they're going to have to pay him. Do they also want to pay Montrez Harrell? They also paid Corey Joseph. Oh, well, yeah, I forgot about him. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it's a lot of guys for a team that isn't doing anything. Now, fit-wise, I think Montrez Harrell fits very well. But the other name that wasn't mentioned by me yet is you kind of have a guy who does what Montrez Harrell does now on the roster in Sacramento He's just been injured, and that's Marvin Bagley, the guy yeah. you picked number two. Like, do you want to play Bagley and Harold together? Now, Bagley has some floor stretcher to him. He's been very impressive when he has played at his ability to step out and knock down the occasional three. It's just, it's such a clunky fit that I could see the Kings doing it. And I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, that that's the th- like I I just I I think the what like there's part of me that's like wonders have the Clippers just been trying to pump up Montrez Harrell's trade value this entire season because it's like I I just think people love scoring like that, that like I know it's it's it sounds simple but people love scoring and you know, the fact that he's averaging 19 points a game if you actually look at his per 36 numbers. They're about in line with the last two years, but because he's playing more minutes, he's posting career highs across the board. So you can just kind of say, there's this 26-year-old center. He plays with heart. He hustles. Um, you know, you could even point at the charge stuff. Some of his block numbers are, I think, higher than his actual rim protection ability. Like, there are some 
you can really talk yourself into Montrez Harrell, I think, uh, if if you want to. So I do think he is one of those guys that like you you know, and I, I think um, you know Dallas was a team that, that struck me as a potential suitor for him. I, I don't know what that deal like. I think that would have been a three teamer. I mean, yeah, like I don't know what that would look like, but. Like I just, I'm just imagine him running pick and rolls with Luca with, with oh KP popping like you know, it just that would be insane. So I, I don't know. I think Sacramento like do you know? I think if you look at it, Bagley's probably going to end up being a five at some point. Maybe not right away, but within two to three years. And, you know, I don't know what, what type of deal does Trez get? Like, does he take a two year max versus maybe a four year? Um, you know lesser deal or, or three-year max instead of a four-year lesser like maybe if you're sacramento you can kind of front load that offer and and because i i do think like theoretically i, I do think bagley and, and harrell could fit together um especially if if they don't want again bagley to play the five yet which it seems like that they have primarily played him at the four um and, and who knows what else sacramento is going to do because they do have the Deadman situation, which I, I think I'd be surprised if they don't flip him before the deadline. Um, they do have Harrison Barnes, who I'm sure they're going to try to get off of uh, in some form or fashion. So I think Sacramento is going to be w- one of the more intriguing and, and active teams around the deadline. Um, I, I think to your point, though, like if you could get Holmes and Bogdanovich um, or even Belitsa instead of one of those guys, like, you know, two of those three, I think would be really interesting fits on this team. And again, I, I think it, it is, as we said at the top of this podcast, you know, uh, the deficiencies you have become glaring at the semifinals, conference finals, finals level. And I think there are legitimate concerns. I've been, I've been beating this drum all season about Trez and Lou at that level. And, you know, we saw Lou get swallowed up in the playoffs a bit. By the Warriors, yes, he had you know three good games, but he also had three bad games, and you know similar thing with Trez. Like, I, I think I do wonder how schemable those guys are. We have seen teams scheme the Lou Trez pick and roll better this season. Um, we, we have seen Lou look very um, human this year com- compared to his performances in the last two years. Uh, we, you know, Trez has has gotten better and more consistent, but I just I you know I think. I would not give up either guy for nothing. I would not try to dump them. I would have a, a high asking price in return for them, or at least a, a comparable asking price. But I, I don't think those guys are untouchable the way that some Clippers fans do. And I would not be surprised or shocked if the, the front office ends up flipping one of them. I'd be surprised if they flip both. I, I think Lou is probably staying put. But it would not surprise me if Trez has moved within the next 72 hours. Yeah, you know, this has been a very forward-thinking front office when it comes to next deals for guys. Obviously, there's the Tobias Harris stuff. Uh, there was the stuff where, you know, they weren't sure how much they really wanted to pay Chris Paul, and then Chris asked out. So they dealt him to Houston, which basically reshaped the team's identity just right there. And then, you know, I think they did have some buyer's remorse with the Blake Griffin contract. And look, as kind of crappy as it was that they you know, jettisoned him six months after his deal, after the ink was dry for just six months, you know, they kind of proved to be right about it. And look, 
it's going to be a like it's it's a tough needle to thread, right? Like you have this team that is so very good when everyone's actually playing. And just when Kawhi and PG play or just Kawhi by himself, the team's really freaking good. The problem is you also have to pay attention to what's coming. And there's not a lot of cap space this offseason. So maybe you trade Montrez Harold to a team that A, doesn't have the cap space to sign him outright in free agency and kind of really covets him so that they have his bird rights. And then you get something back that either is of equal player value or is a better fit value because I don't think you're going to actually get like quote unquote player value for him in like a one for one deal. But sometimes the fit is the value. Like you upgrade the fit and that's where the added value comes from. At least as far as the Clippers are concerned, I would love a Montrose Harrow or Sean Holmes trade just because you have one extra year of your backup center who does a lot of the stuff he does, but for a lot cheaper than he's going to be. With Lou Williams, it's a tougher call because he is your lead ball handler on the bench unit. And as much as we gripe about his defense, he's still a really good offensive player and he's still very vital to what they like to do. It's just the pick and roll between him and Trez this year has been so underwhelming that it really makes me worry if this is it. And I'm with you. I don't think they deal both guys. I think one and more likely is Montrez Harrell, I think has to go just because look, you need to build for the future. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are only on your books for 18 more months. Guaranteed. You have to convince them that you are trying to win a title, not just this season, but next season. And you need to like, I started this all started in the Robert Covington talk in the very beginning of this podcast. You have to widen your window. And there's going to come a point in time in the next two days, three days, right up until the trade deadline buzzer at 12 PM Pacific time on Thursday, where the Clippers are going to have to give themselves a very long look in the mirror and ask them what they need to do. And if they have, you know, part of my language, but if they have the balls to do it, because it's not going to be popular. If they decide to move on from Montrose Harrell, a lot of the fan base is going to be pissed off. And I understand, but you also have to kind of take a step back and view it with like, okay, like this might be what is needed, even though we don't want it to happen. And it's funny, you mentioned the, maybe the Clippers have been pumping up his trade value all season, right? Like you, you said that a little bit ago. Um, yeah. I have a really funny Jerry West story for you, actually. So let's hear it. And oh, you'll love this. Uh, last season, very early in the season, I sat baseline right behind Jerry West, the row literally right behind Jerry West. And he, for people who don't know, he sits basically right behind the stanchion on the Clippers side of the court where the bench is, but he sits like right behind the stanchion. Um, It was a game in which Avery Bradley was knocking down multiple threes. And I will never, Uh, that that I don't recall. Oh, I know it's weird, right? I, I don't, I don't remember that. Well, Steve Ballmer, after about the second or third three early in the first quarter that Avery Bradley hit, Steve Ballmer turned to Jerry West, and Jerry West gave him the biggest thumbs up with a smile. And I was just like, oh my God, did this man just have this guy's side to bump up his trade value to get something? And lo and behold, it turned into Jermichael Green, the team's starting center for like the last two playoff games. So... 
Look, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is all a thing where the Clippers just want to get a guy enough court time to where teams think he's amazing, and they pump him up. They only ever call Montres Harrell a power forward. NBA Stats' account did it today, where they tweeted out that, you know, among forwards, Montres Harrell rates right here in contested shots or something. I think he leads the NBA in contested shots for forwards. Montres Harrell's not a forward. He's a center. He's yeah. played close to 98% of his minutes over the last two seasons at center. And look... If classifying him as a power forward is what enhances his trade value, I'm all for it. So as we get to deadline day, it's going to be a really interesting needle for the team to thread where you need to make significant. Well, I shouldn't say significant. You need to make improvements at certain positions and certain roles and certain spots. But it's going to be very hard to do it because a lot of teams don't like to trade with teams that are at the very, very top. Golden, this is a crazy stat that I actually heard driving home last night on a podcast. I believe it was with, uh, I want to say it was with Zach Lowe, I believe, or maybe maybe it was Woj. It might have been Woj. Um, did you know the Golden State Warriors, up until the Willie Cauley-Stein trade this season, had not made a trade since 2014? I did not know that. Teams just don't want to trade with teams at the top, and teams at the top are kind of scared to like mess with chemistry and it's going to be interesting because look i don't know what the clippers chemistry is on court or off court but a team like milwaukee that's been so freaking good you're kind of terrified to touch anything same thing with the lakers their chemistry is off the charts they hang out all the time they seem to love playing together it's kind of terrifying to make moves like it's it's you're almost damned if you do damned if you don't and they need to, and the, but the, for the Clippers' sake, for the next step to widen the win probability for a title this season and going forward, they might have to just bite the bullet and just make the deal and just let the chips fall as they may. And the guys are just going to have to figure it out and understand business is business. Whoa. And that's just the reality. And I think this is the note we should wrap up on here is I think this is all within the, I mean, this is the great challenge and I don't envy the front office right now because they don't have much of a sample size to work with, right? Like they only have had Kawhi and PG play in 19 of the what 49 games mm-hmm. um, on top of that you have, well, I, and I know Lou, Lou has missed a couple of those games. Pat has missed a couple of those games. I, I don't think Trez has. Oh, maybe. Trez missed the Utah game. He missed the Utah game. I don't remember if Kawhi, Quite, yeah, they did. Yeah, okay, they did. Okay, so so Trez missed one. So like, you haven't even had your top like, and you, we know Landry's missed some of those games. So you haven't really had your top like six, six guys yeah. together for even nineteen games. Uh, and we know stretching it out to your top nine or ten is only two games. So it's really like we don't have a you know we don't even really have a sample size period of this group together. And you're trying to kind of figure out okay, so two and zero against the Lakers. 0-2 against the Bucks. Haven't played the Sixers yet. You know, 0-1 against Denver. 1-2 against Houston. 1-2 against Utah. Um, like, and I kind of go back to some of those matchups and I'm like, well, you know, the Lakers game has been kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, the, the, those have been, you know, coin flips. They should have um, lost the second game. Should have lost the second game. Had control of that first game, you know, by the midway point of the fourth and, and really from that point on. But you know, it's it's hard to kind of glean 
you know, I think that the, the Lakers have gotten have continued to get better overall. Um, and you know, I don't think they've figured out how to use AD against the Clippers. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of its own kind of weird matchup. Um, but but Trez, I would say, has fared well in that. Uh, you got Milwaukee. He fared well in the first game. Didn't fare well in the second game, although no one really did. We haven't seen him against Philly. I thought Zoo was the better center against Denver. Um, Houston, I think, is more of a Trez matchup than a, a Zoo matchup. Although I don't love Trez's you know rim protection against Russ at full speed and against James Harden. Um, so that's you, kind of a weird one. You know, and what's you also have him Houston in the back line trying to stop Capella lobs and that stuff. If Capella's still a rocket, but go go well, ahead with your point. No, that's what I was going to say. That's the interesting thing with Houston. If they move Clint Capella, a lot of those backline lobs kind of go away depending on who they get. And maybe that opens up Zubots to play more against the Houston. Like that's the ultimate chess stuff, right? Like that's that's why this is so, like the trade deadline is such a chess game because if Houston trades Clint Capella, there goes a large part of what the Clippers struggled against on the glass. Like Clint Capella killed them on the offensive glass in, in every matchup they played. And he's such a lob threat that they have no one that can stop that. So if they move Capella, well, kind of maybe the matchup, like Houston's not a great matchup for the Clippers. I'm just going to say that. Like, they're just not. Like, James Harden is so savvy with his foul drawing. Russ, for some reason, hates the Clippers and Patrick Beverly so much. He plays well. So if you get rid of Capella, does that help you in the matchup department? Depending on who they get back, probably. And look, everything comes, you said it, everything comes down to matchups though. Like, well, that's where like Utah, I think is a, is more of a zoo matchup than Trez. Um, and that's where, again, you know, this kind of goes back to the zoo Trez thing, which we've now talked about multiple times on this podcast. I've written about it multiple times. Like I think Trez is, is the better player uh, or, or at least can look like the better player in 90% of the matchups. But when you get to that top 10%, the top, or, you know, top 15%, whatever, the top five, six teams in the league, uh, you, you know, which, which in my opinion is, is really the top f- other four West teams and, and then, you know, Milwaukee plus maybe another East team. I think Zoo kind of gets the, 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 the favor, you know, or, you know, I would favor Zoo in, in those matchups. I think his value increases. So again, like Trez, Trez is great against Atlanta and, and Washington and Orlando <laughs> and Cleveland and like, He's going to dominate those teams. He's going to put up 25 and 12. He's going to look like an all-star coming off the bench. But when you get to the Milwaukee's, the Lakers, the Denver's, the Utah's, um, those like the Phillies, those are the teams where it's size matters and, um, you know, rebounding matters and rim protection matters and and defensive rotations matter. And that's where I have the concerns, Um, you know, and, and again, the Clippers have had so many of these matchups where they're not fully healthy again like the first Milwaukee game they didn't have Kawhi or PG so like how do you even take anything away from that Trez looked great in that game but it wasn't because of his defense it wasn't because of his rebounding he was just able to isolate them and you know they're, they're spreading the floor and, and he could take Brooke Lopez or, or Giannis off the dribble but again I, I just think it's it's going back to to where I was going with the front office thing is I, I don't envy them because they have such a small sample size to really glean these things off of but I do think if you could somehow flip that Trez spot, because uh, again, I, I don't think they're paying him. I, I would be shocked if they end up 
paying him unless they sign and trade him or, or flip him next season. Um, you know, I don't see how they pay him this summer. So I, I just think if you can move that package it with Mo uh, and, and maybe Jerome or Rodney and, and the picks for something up upwards of into the, the low twenties, like you can get some interesting stuff back, I think. So um, that's what I'm going to be on the lookout for. I think we, we kind of know it, it's Mo, it's the 2021st, it's the two Detroit seconds, it's Jerome, it's Rodney. And, and those are kind of the moving pieces that, that we're going to see. But then it gets interesting. Is, is it Trez? Is it Zoo? Is it Lou? Is it Pat? Um, is it, you know, is our, our fear Terrence kind of dumped into something just as, as kind of like, Hey, these are rookies are interesting, you know, blank slate, like, let's see how it plays out. Um, I don't know, but I, I'm just, you know, we'll, we'll finish on this. I think this team is going to make one move. I would not be surprised if they make two moves. Um, and yeah, like I, I think they they're, they're going to do something and it's probably going to come out of nowhere. It's probably not going to be for a player we talked about. Um, and you know, we're going to look like idiots after spending, you know, an, an hour 20 talking about all this stuff. It's going to be Patty Mills, baby. <laughs> all right, man. Well, um, we, we, we just, we just spent an hour talking about this. So now we, we have like, uh, what 68 hours until the tra- <laughs> 68 hours until the trade deadline i think um but thank you for your time as always it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast i think we got a good thing going when we both ramble for 10 minutes each <laughs> um, I, I hope you guys are still listening uh, but uh justin where can people find you on social media and where can they read your work and listen to your you can, podcast you can find me on social media at uh at or as i should say on twitter at fly by night it's f-l-y-b-y-k-n-i-t-e you can find me on patreon that's where all my stuff gets published including my podcasts uh, i do a post-game recap i do five takeaways from every game i do a podcast every friday uh, i didn't have one this past week because of everything that had happened uh you know in the world with the tragedy and everything um but you can find me on patreon at patreon.com slash fly by night all right. Well, as always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Yovan Buha. That is at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, I do not know what you're doing, but you should subscribe. Go to theathletic.com slash Clip City to help this podcast out, help me out. Uh, you could read my Clipper stuff, our NBA stuff. We're going to have a bunch of content coming at your face uh, at the NBA trade line, probably could have said that smoother, but um, the, the, that's what happens when you have a hour 20 podcast, uh, your brain stops functioning. I am now going to go to watch the Clippers play the San Antonio Spurs, uh, a team they've had some interesting games with this season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, but Hey, who knows? Maybe the Clippers trade for DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge. You, oh, you never Jesus. know. What are you doing? <laughs> and ending the podcast on a low note. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, thank you. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Later.